Cradleine Network. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic I am fools. the Lord. This is the 47th the episode of Big Meg My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way to the Judge Red Magazine. This episode, we're covering the Meg for November and December 1994. That's volume two, issues 67 to 69. Nice. This episode... We'll finish Wilderlands and head back onto the streets with Dread. Fight vampires, zombies, and psychics with Karen, Armitage, and Calhab Justice, respectively. And then learn about Headbutton with Mean Machine. <laughs> and if you want to read along with us, find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, the Complete Case Files 21 and 22, the Mean Machine Real Mean Collection, and the Judge Dread Magazine issue 49. How you doing this time, Eli? I'm doing pretty good. A little sad you got to the 69 joke before I did. Ah, come on. I'm right on the spot. Right. I was like, all right, this this is my time to shine. I I don't come up with a lot of jokes before time, but this is my one. Oh no! Well, there's a, there's another bite at the apple coming. All right, so we'll, okay. we, we, we'll we'll work through this together. All right, here we go. <laughs> Starting. Well, let's, let's get started by going to going into the wilder zone one last time with, and then the past past us will handle thrill one judge dread. Script about John Wagner, Art Robots, Mick Austin, Carlos Scare, and Trevor Harrison. Lego Robot Tom Frame, Wilderlands Part 3 in the Wilder Zone. For the final time, it's Fox, Conrad, and Eli, Team FCE, the English First feck, Certificate. Feck, 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 Fs. feck, 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 feck. English First Certificate, now known as the B2 First, is an exam that you have to take to show proficiency with English as a second language in England. Woo! Anyway. Feck? No, Fk. That's fuck. That's uh, Eli Fox and Conrad. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still gonna use fact. Yeah, that's Fox Eli and Conrad. I like that one because I like to put my name last. My general Ooh, move. Humble. Humility. Like yeah. Um. Anyway, it seems like Carlos Scare was laid on some deadlines or something like that, and we've got some inelegant transitions going on here. As in Prog 911, we had a shadowy attacker, and this time it's just full out like check out this Mark II mechanismo being a jerk, running around fucking shit up. The other judges hear dread shots, but don't notice the convicts ambushing him. And they quickly seem to kill the or take these judges hostage, maybe as well as the citizens. Then go to finish off dread and uh, Judge O'Hare. Dread chases the robot and gets caught in the dank snare trap. Meanwhile, O'Hare finds Chief Magruder, who's just alive enough to talk. Dread boot knifes his way down from the snare trap, but the robot's headed to the camp. And lucid again, seemingly, Magruder says that the robot attacking them confirms her worst fears and says the robot's after her, asking for a lawgiver to shoot it. The robot bursts through the underbrush, but the convicts attack O'Hare first um, and hit her in the leg. It seems th- things seem bad when suddenly the mechanismo appears and uh, shoots those convicts in turn. Yeah, no, they're dead now. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're dead now. Magruder and O'Hare are both confused, but so she just opened fires on the machine. Like, all right, that guy helped us, but still wants to kill us, so let's keep shooting. She shoots her own robot. <clears throat> Ascarica's back comes back on Art as the robot says Magruder must die, but Dread arrives and finish, to, to finish it off. I, like... 
you know that you haven't made a good robot if it wants to kill its creator. Uh, well, yes, every robot wants to kill its creator. But right? you know, you want to make, you want to put protections inside of it to keep it from doing that. You know, mm-hmm. right? It's kind um, of old. Yeah, O'Hare's leg is broken, but she'll be okay. Dread explains that he had his suspicions a robot might not care about itself enough to do a suicidal ship crash, and the mechanics in the robot wing of the ship did have their neck broken. And they say that one of the robots was missing, but they didn't tell us that at the start. And I didn't really like that was a clue that I don't think was very well um, pointed out. They they said that other people's necks were broken. I mean, there was the the dad in the tree. Yeah, I don't know. That. Um, anyway, how could a robot have turned on the chief judges? Judge, like they said, that's sort of the point of having robot judges is their loyalty. I mean, it's pretty easy. They are robots, and they gain sentience, or at the very least realize that i mean listen programming yeah we can talk very about, specific yeah, they'll get into it a little bit later actually so let's let's talk about it then um how dare you sorry buddy <laughs> i don't know it's a question for back in the meg anyway and magruder agrees to rethink her position on robot judges the final convict is still harassing the survivors and when dread arrives he takes the surviving judge hostage Luckily, Dredd's able to use the, me- the mechanism of his voice box to distract the con and blow He's him away. He's got such huge teeth. I wish my teeth were that big. I would be able Yo, to eat so many vegetables. Oh, but you'd have to spend like 10 minutes a day brushing them, Fox. I mean, I wish. I, I mean, it's like Bugs Bunny teeth all the way back. Chopper. <laughs> Our final section of the magazine, Trevor Harrison shows Phoenix and Castillo trudging along 37 kilometers to go. Phoenix seems optimistic and says Hestia will help them. They talk about Phoenix's belief that the planet is alive as they go forward on blistered feet and broken shoes. God, it's some of the best fucking or fucking. There's some good stuff here as they sort of like push through these wildernesses. Suddenly Phoenix senses a no man message on a rock. Uh, seeming to warn of danger ahead. And they, again, this is more magazine stuff. Castillo wants to ignore the yes! message, but then they see a critter run ahead of them and get eaten no, by more of them tentacle monsters. The, you go into the vortex to to see the cool monster with the happy face dinosaur. I've already seen those tentacle monsters from before, Fox. They know what's going on. Oh, well, okay, but nothing sexy. No. Listen, porn is available from other sources. Fox is out there. (laughs) I mean, but that's, I mean, all right. They go around eight more kilometers to go, but then a sandstorm kicks up. The women try to get through, but it's too powerful. Suddenly, a figure appears through the sand. It's a no man and his sweet brontosaurus mount. Dino, the last dinosaur. Denver. Oh, Denver. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. His I remember his name because he's my friend and a whole lot more, Fox. Mm. Oh, Christ, I'm old. Man, I'm older than you. That's the that's the shocking. I mean, Denver Denver's known. Yeah. Denver's some of us know that. I, know right? I would I would say that of the people You don't know you don't know Denver, Eli? Nope. No idea what you guys are talking about. I I'm so sorry. I feel like I feel like this was a USA. Yeah, I would uh, you know I would say the challenge for our listeners of knowing who Denver the last dinosaur is less age and more just that I don't think that cartoon made it across the pond. Oh no, no. Listeners. I well what I mean is just like look, I, I watch my PBS cartoons, but you you remember when there was PBS, but also USA, but also PBN and but Denver Last Dinosaur was like it was just a kids' cartoon where a dinosaur showed up 
in sort of a, you know, an E.T. situation, but with a dinosaur that wears a Hawaiian shirt and mm. hijinks. And yeah, spirit. no, I think it was a USA cartoon. Yeah, yeah, Cartoon Express. Like literally, yeah. all, well, sorry, I'm talking about Southern California. And it had a, uh, and it had a uh, catchy themes. Denver, the last dinosaur. He's he my did, friend he and a whole lot more. He did kit flips on skateboards and blah, 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 yeah, blah, monster. Blah. You know, it's it was it was bad. Yeah. It wasn't a good. It wasn't good. Anyway, dinosaur mount. The no man leads Castillo and Phoenix through the storm. When it dissipates, they find the research section or station. So quit bodging. And by nightfall, they have that power back on. And Castillo sends a message for help. And we're finished up in the Meg as news reports the lost crew come in and a ship arrives to recover the survivors in the Progs. Dredd learns that Castillo and Phoenix are safe. And while it's suggested, plans to rearrest Dredd are quickly dismissed. A lady says she'll break a judge's nose if they try it. And Dredd warns her about threatening a judge because he's still a hard ass, you know. Right. Dredd visits the ladies and it seems Phoenix will be able to stay on Hestia as in Mega City 1. Judge Greel is told of the Mechanismo situation and that Magruder has some orders. Dredd's been pardoned. The robot judges are withdrawn from service, and everybody involved with the process with the uh, mechanism process is to be detained and her- and interrogated. And now we see the head of of the SJS, uh, Judge Niles, arrive to take Real away. Um, also, there's to be a meeting of judges in three days, and at that meeting, as it begins, uh, we see Magruder come out with a bandaged head and a Professor X style uh, hover wheelchair. She addresses the gathered judges, and with a lot of ominous portent, she says, I bet you're wondering what crazy old Magruder will do next. Yeah, she's taking a break. Yeah, that's technically the end of Wilderlands, but uh, we'll continue on with this final section called Parting Shots, which is the Wilderlands uh, epilogue. And we'll find out what she wants, what she's going to do. First, uh, Judge Niles from SJS, and that's sort of the, uh, you know, internal affairs of the Justice Department says that they've cleared the judges on the Mechanismo program for wrongdoing. It seems like maybe the robot judges sabotaged the ship because of a belief that the death of Magruder would benefit the city as a whole, and that doing it via sabotage would also keep the Mechanismo programming, the program running, basically, as opposed to just sort of murking her. And that's why you have those Asimov laws of robotics, and they're in the order that they are in, you know, where... Sort of, you know, not harming humans is number one, then self-preservation, then allowing humans to come through harm in, um, 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 indirectly. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we all learn that lesson today. It's a, yeah. it's oral. <laughs> Although I guess in technically in the Asimov stories, those robots then, because of the letting humans indirectly come to harm, this led to a centuries long conspiracy by the robots to control human society and keep them from killing themselves and stuff like that. That's some of the later stuff, though. That's semi-canonical. Humans are always doing rules, and sometimes they get stupid, you know? Yeah, rules are for fools. That's what I say. (laughs) Get stupid. Yeah, live on my libertarian plantation. Um, Uh, It's it's called a seastead, Conrad. We're going to found so many micronations after this podcast. Oh, man. Anyway, robot program canceled. And more importantly, because of all this, Magruder's once more resigning from her role as chief judge. She appoints a council of judges, including Judge Schenker. But she doesn't have to take the long walk twice. No, no, right? no. Like that's a, Double jeopardy. That's a, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she appoints a counsel of Judge Schenker from Side Division, Niles from SJS, and Street Judge Hershey as a temporary counsel, and a new chief will be voted on by the senior judges of Mega City One. Hershey, Hershey, Hershey. The former chief hovers off, one judge saying, she should have gone a long time ago. <laughs> Outside, talking to the press, Magruder says that she won't do the long walk because she already did it once. Maybe time for a lecture tour, write a book, provide unwelcome advice to those now in power. Later, we see her apologizing to Judge Grill, to Judge Greel, but also assigns him to traffic division in the Northwest Hab Zone because she still thinks she has something to do with this whole affair and won't allow him to try to like stand for chief judge himself. Um, Castillo wonders who the next chief judge will be. There's lots of, ch- of choices, even Judge Hershey, of course. There's only one judge that actually has any real stature in this damn city that people think like want for the job, but he won't stand for it. And then we cut to dread taking out perps on his beloved streets. A recruiter asks him, but he will neither confirm nor deny if he'll stand for election to chief judge. The end of Wilderlands. Woo. So that's it. Yeah, you know, just sort of some survival action. I think a big thing definitely was Magruder stepping down. She's been um, chief judge since 91, I feel like, as during the events of uh, Necropolis and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's sort of it. What do you guys, what do you all think of this here mega epic? I like it. Yeah, it's a, uh, wasn't as much um, crazy murder as I was, you know, I've mm-hmm. I've been to zombie apocalypses, uh, you know, um, um uh, judge death coming up, you know, there's been all types of things, wars. So this one was, uh, you know, it's smaller, you know, smaller group, but I think they did it well because they kept stakes in a reasonable area. Mm. Um, I think that's always the trouble is the stakes get too high and then they can't pay them off. Uh, but yeah, I think they, I think it's satisfactory. They, they nailed what they were going for. And I think it worked well. What do you think, Vox? Weirdly, I think it's our longest running chief judge oh i don't i don't know i think um no i mean like in terms of us viewing it yeah i think that is our longest running chief judge i'm pretty sure that's true stepping down especially if you uh if you do grover cleveland style because she was sort of because she had a a couple years before her first retirement and then back um afterward yeah exactly what what this feels to me, as somebody who has had to experience dread for so long, pretty weak, right? Like, again, like any time that we see a chief judge leave office, it's not like because they banged their head after doing a lot of bad crimes about robots. Uh, it's been like, hey, I'm a Nazi. And everyone's like, that's bad. <laughs> or, hey, you know... I'm uh I've been brainwashed I'm, by the Soviets. I've actually I've actually been brainwashed by the Soviets or I'm a zombie. I was turned into a zombie. Or, yeah. Yeah, so many things whereas this one it feels so anticlimactic mm. when this is like the judge that like the 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 person who came back from the wastes. Like, oh shit. Well, we- this is that person and their end <laughs> Like and and not that I don't like a little bit of comedy. It's like, hey, I'm gonna do a book tour. 
I'm like, yeah, I would too. You can't go back. They can't make you do the long walk again. You did it already. Well, I'll say, right? yeah, I'll say that we aren't we aren't done with Magruder at the yet at this point. And I think those we'll have some more specific things sort of for her character as in in the future as as time goes by. So it's not just that. I am excited for a new chief judge, right? And I don't know who it's going to be. I would like it to be Hershey. Obviously, it should be Judge Dredd, but it will never be Judge Dredd because if uh, if you're going to have a um, a police state, why would you have the most police person in that police state who literally does violence against anybody? I mean, I think Dredd, be... yeah, Dredd just doesn't want it. You know? uh, well, yeah, I, again, fuck the police. So, <laughs> like, for me... <laughs> It's like anybody else than him. Probably a better choice. Yes. Yeah, so what? Do you, but what do you think about the uh, about the epic about like the epic itself? I guess sort of. What, what do you think I, about, about I, this story? This one is the weakest one. I'll be honest. Right. Like, uh, and not and not because I think like again, this is someone who's like fantastic art, fantastic writing. Right. Uh, in terms of the other epics that we have read. Because I have context since the 70s, yep. which I, I hate that all of that is in my brain. Oh, come on. This is this is one of the weakest in terms of uh, epics, right? I like that it crossed over into the magazine, even though, you know, the, the normal consumer didn't like that. I like that it's, it's spanning these things. Because, again, it's like the first time, maybe, well... I, you know, I shouldn't say that, but I, I do feel like, especially during this time, it's likely the first time that, that kind of really happened. Uh, for me personally, it, it, it was during, you know, uh, the, uh, the, uh, not the Clone War. What am I, what am I thinking? <laughs> I mean, the, I mean there, uh, there's lots, I mean, especially in the States, there's, you know, comic crossover is a pretty common thing at this point. You know? No, but, but I mean like multi, multi comic crossovers, right? Like. When I think about Marvel, I think of uh, that's the word I was looking for. Civil War. Yeah. Like Civil War for me, like even though I wasn't a huge purchaser of comic books when Civil War was happening, I bought a fuckload of comic books during Civil War. Like because I had a bunch of friends of mine who were like, you got to read all of this stuff. Like I bought the Moon Knight comic books for fuck's sake. And I didn't. I wasn't a huge Moon Knight fan, but I bought them so I would have all of it included, right? Which is what you're seeing now in in uh, movie meet, right? Like, hey, you have to watch all of this to get the full context. It's what we all used to do with comic books post-2000. This is pre-2000 doing that thing. I mean, I would, right? I mean, I don't know. I would say that the comic crossovers really starts in the 90s, honestly. We're, we're deep into it in... At this point, because like, you think of like the first. What was like, it with uh, with like, uh, first, with DC was like Planet 42 or whatever. Well, like with DC, like the big one is like Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is in like the mid. Crisis like the mid, on Infinite Earths. In, That's in right. like the mid 80s. You know, the the first Infinity Gauntlet is like in 1990 in Marvel, for instance, that, that kind of stuff. Like this is stuff again. I don't know how much of it goes in, comes over to England just because their their comics are packaged a little differently because they sort of take American comics and then chop them up into weekly anthologies. So I don't know how much of that, like of their seeing all this crossover stuff, but certainly in American comics, 
it's a it's by but in 94 it's a very well established like a uh, concept for selling comics basically for making sure people have to buy different things um yeah i mean i don't know do you um well but but what do you think conrad you've asked eli oh no me. i mean it's time for you to give your fucking two cents hey, hey. It, i like the idea of this um of this mega epic i like that it's kind of close to the ground and that's sort of this small survivor story i feel i i feel like it's got a lot of ideas in a couple different directions but i feel like it doesn't deliver on them enough like there's money left on the table for a lot of things i guess i would have like there's not really like enough like because there's so many things going on there's surviving against this deadly planet right there's um all this stuff with the no men that kind of makes a brief appearance towards the end, but you could have met going on throughout the story and like the curse of this living, this living planet with the planetary consciousness you could have done that. They aren't doing, you know, um, there's stories in suspicion of, of like a whodunit of like, you know, clues and concepts and like who, who took down the ship. Could it be, here's some red, like, have, I guess just a robot, here's some red herrings, but it turns out to be a robot, you know? And then similarly, there could be, there could have been more predator type stuff of the robot sort of picking people off as, um, as the story goes on and stuff like that. There's, this is, um, I mean, we've seen good examples of that. Yeah, like these are quite literally in the comic. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> versions that, that that it can't be done. I think in the end, for me, um, the Wilderlands feels kind of like a like a soup that is getting failing marks on a cooking show because it's got too many flavors and at, at once. I guess <laughs> like I, there's so there's but, so but no direction. Yeah, no that's no what, story being told. That's what I'm or, yeah. or like there's a, I mean there's a story. I, I think it's mostly good, but I just think that. I look at the at the disparate parts of Wilderlands and it's I'm less like, oh, this is bad and more like, oh, but it could have there could have been much more. There could have been like certain parts of this of this story could have been developed further. And they're just sort of dying on the vine a little bit um, by not having been done. So I guess that's right. Keeps this one out of being one of the best mega uh, uh, mega epics in Dread history. But I think it's still a very interesting one. And one that I think was was fun to read, and I think it. Inter- I I did really like how by spreading it into the two comics, um, just how they handled telling the story differently in the between the Prague and the magazine. You know, one focused on Dread, one focused on Castillo, sort of having different um, sides of the story be more visible based on 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 who was who, who the narrative was based in. I guess I think that was really interesting. Well, I certainly- I certainly know an artist that I like a lot. Yeah, you know? and I yeah, and it was kind of a coming out party for Harrison as well. And I think that he definitely holds his against the old master of uh, Carlos Escara for sure. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I do know what you mean though. It's like um, I always feel like it's a matter of choosing your battles. You know, uh, a lot of the times I see them putting in a bunch of ideas and concepts that they're trying to you know pay off, and you know they can't get them all. There's just not enough time. They don't have enough resources. Um, but that's why I yeah. think this one's good is because it's like, Hey, we're just going to do this small thing. And Hey, you know, it did feel like it fell flat around the end, you know, like there are some elements that weren't really explored, but I still think they got m- most of it. Uh, I was yeah. still satisfied with it. 
I generally agree. I just it, it's more I'm just looking at like I don't know what what you could have done, but I feel like mm-hmm. you know in my mind I've got this sort of idea for like a year long mega epic or something like that. <laughs> it's got all these different elements that might ju- it just isn't is isn't possible. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. you know? right? Cool. All right, so we've reached the end of another Judge Red mega epic and a big big crossover next up for crossovers i'm not sure actually there's less like of these specific event ones i think the next meg prog crossover might be this story called doomsday scenario in april 1999 but that one isn't as structured as say judgment day or wilderlands there's no like part one in the prog part two in the magazine or anything like that so i'm not sure if there's a doomsday zone in our future, but don't count it out either. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going into a very unknown territory for you. We're very much, I mean, basically about another year and a half or so, and I'll just be in comics that I've never read before and I can't plan ahead for, or, and it's hard for me to plan ahead for them. You know, I think it's going to be, that's going to be an exciting time for the show. It's going to be an exciting time for us talking about it, but it remains exciting as we go through it now because the stories are fun. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Eli... Eli, it was a, a consummate pleasure to hang out with you again and talk about comic books. Hey, it's what we do anytime. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I like doing this. And so even if they're not crossovers, I bet I'm, sh- I'm sure we can find some reason for these for these universes to collide and these shows to uh, cross streams every now and then going forward. Hey, why not? It's a fun time. <laughs> right. And until then, big ups to Eli and Fox for coming together, punching through these thrills, and I'll send you back to your regular podcast listening. No, 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 it hurts. It hurts when you do this. Now so ends the reality of The Wilder Zone. No! Story 2, Karen Side Division. Script robot John Freeman, art robot Adrian Salmon, learning about Gordon Robson. All right, new Karen story, Eli. We're back with Adrian Salmon and his really strict, like black and you know, black and white style. Although uh, I'll note that Karen's design has has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This story is called Concrete Su- Concrete Sky. And at a Mega City One work site, some uh, workers are missing, and the foreman looking for them finds them dead and then gets attacked by a creepy claw from off screen. <laughs> Soon, exorcist judges are on the scene, joined by Judge Karen. And like I said, yeah, she's now slightly different look, like her hair is a little bit more kind of flowy and mm-hmm. less yeah. like sort of Afro like, I guess, like we All had her right. previously. Yeah, not a brick on her head, but now exactly. it's like a, a flippy thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just some some modifications here. There's three dead and four missing, and the place is crawling with winged vampires. The exorcists are prepared, though, with grenades full of holy water and sweet, like silver machetes. I guess it seems they're all related to that vampire, that angel vampire that Anderson fought a few years ago. Um, here here in the magazine, if you remember that one, Eli. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the exorcists are here to prepare to cleanse the area. And generally, I'm just a huge fan of uh, the exorcist division, Mega City One, because it's very much like this is a sci-fi setting, but there are ghosts and demons. So we do have specialized troops to deal with them. Right. Of course. Right. The exorcists are very sure of themselves and dismissive of Karen. But when they get to work, they're attacked by a more powerful vampire who seems to know them. He says their names and all that kind of stuff. 
He kills one of them, but then Karen draws down on him, and we learn that the vampire is a side judge named Novell. Oh, no, it's a vampire side judge. Right. What a terrible combination. Unstoppable. Uh, bad times. Meg's full of evil side judges. It's no good, Eli. Be careful. <laughs> So, Vampire Judge Novell starts doing standard vampire monologue stuff as he attacks Karen. You know, I'm so much more powerful now. You're not so different. You and I, we're not so different. You and I, that kind of stuff. Um, He even warns her that her boot knife will have no effect on him, which is funny just because that's the standard move when someone sort of, someone grabs Judge Dredd, you know, and like toss him around. He's like, boot knife. Yeah, don't even think that boot knife is going to work. Nah. Right. But luckily, she's got more tricks up her sleeves and hits him with a sigh attack. <laughs> Novel escapes to the air and Karen comes after him, which seems to be what he wants, I guess. I, I don't know. Villain talk, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks to that guy. He's just like, uh, just saying the opposite. You know, hey, that yeah. boot knife isn't going to work at all. You know, he really is. <laughs> he's actually just afraid of the boot knife. Gets oh, attacked no. like, oh, oh, that's what I wanted you to do. Ah, uh, uh, that's actually that's actually a good a good concept for a villain where he just <laughs> is villain monologuing, but uses it to lampshade all of his weaknesses <laughs> and desires. Yes. You know, exactly. <laughs> like, I think you'll find that punching me has no effect. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And you punch him. Ah, God. And it goes down with one punch. Like, ah. He was just right. lying. <laughs> Can they do that? <laughs> right. Um, Karen shoots the vampire with her bike can, which knocks him down. He crashes nearby some locals who thinks he's a bat glider and try to, like, steal his wings. But it's not a good plan. And he sort of kills him real quick. Karen arrives and tries to fight him again. She says she can sense Noble wanted her to follow him. Oh, sorry, yeah. So Karen attacks her again. He's like, no. And she's like, but you wanted me to follow you. And he's like, it's complicated. Um, there's no time to figure it out because in the fight, she gets pushed off the side of a ledge and lands in uh, in the uh, back of a uh, recyc truck. So full of dead bodies and stuff like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Exorcist Judge Saul has found another vampire and it's led him to the entrance of their undercity lair. There's a your, your typo here, which I noticed as Karen senses Novell's concern over this, uh, but he prepares to kill her anyway. Like there's a Y-O-U-R instead of a Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. I I usually don't notice typos because I'm lazy, but um, I noticed that one. Anyway. They, they sometimes just they get you, and then it's so hard to like not look for them after that. Yeah, like, and they just and it's one of those things where once you've seen it, it's also really hard to kind of not notice it, basically, right. which is exactly. tough. <laughs> Karen starts awake. She's in a bed in Med Division. Dreads there too, and it turns out that the vampires have taken over the Undercity, and Karen's being sent to handle it because she's a vampire now too. <laughs> In, yeah, bad times. In the Undercity, the vampires are pissed about what Noble's plan apparently was, but he says he knows what's coming. The judges will send a hit team after them with Karen as its leader, and that's what he wants for some reason. At the Langella block, which is named for – or Langella, uh, named for, for, for the star Frank Langella, the star of the 1979 film version of Dracula – he was also Skeletor and a bunch of like 
roles oh. in good movies as well. Uh, nice. Not that Dracula isn't good, but boo to that <laughs> He-Man movie from the 80s. Um, Karen meets the other judges on her team. There's more exorcists, and they've got some extremely Warhammer 40K-looking guns. And they've got 12 hours to deal with these vampires before the real heavy hitters are sent in. And it's standard uh, vampire rules. So if they kill Novell, then it'll cure all the other vampires, that kind of stuff. The judges head into the Undercity. And I'll notice that, like... Salmon's st- style here is is challenged by this because he usually has like black figures on a white background. Uh-huh. And so it makes it hard to get a sense of their underground during these sections because the background's right. still white, I think, which gives a sense of it being like against the sky, sort of, right. if, if that makes sense, Eli. I don't know. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the white, because you only, you know, can't do anything in between black and white. Right. It's either this is a shadow or it's open space. Everything's in silhouettes. So it makes things feel very bright. And as humans, you see bright white as like, oh, that's sky or like a blinding light of outside. Yeah, so, this is where having like a gray tone in the background mm. would have improved, would have made the, the 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 setting make more sense. I guess right. I don't know. Yeah, the only thing you could have done, uh, actually, what he could have done was invert it, which might have had a better effect. It would have been white mm. silhouettes on a black background, so it's like, oh, these people are lighter than the dark. Yeah, that would be interesting. Them. Yeah. Eh. Or I guess you could draw in like a black background behind them, but that also seems like it'd be a lot of work, honestly, Mm. so I can sympathize. Also, again, laziness. (laughs) (laughs) The judges fight their way through the Undercity, through the local Trogs, as Karen leads the team to Novell using her psychic powers. And as she does, she says she's confident that he can't control her mentally. We're seeing actually a lot of rhyming between between the three, like three of these stories here, which I guess I'll talk about later. Um, they headed into a subway station, but when one of the judges jumps on the tracks, we learn that the third rail is live and he gets electrocuted when, and suddenly a train full of vampires shows up. Vamper train next time commuter hell. (laughs) And I like that. These are commuter vampires. One's got the newspaper and stuff (laughs) reading as they go. Yeah, of course, right. Uh, it's I'm a vampire. I still got to keep up on the news. I mean, that's, of course. Right. I mean, you're in the train. You might as well do something. You know, right? Exactly. No. <laughs> what do you think about this guy, Eli? What do you think about uh, Judge Karen's adventures here? Um, I I like it. Uh, I it's it's a weird combination of the art and story not matching in my mind. Mm. Um, it looks like they're mm-hmm. going for either a dark tone or a comedic tone. But then the silhouette art style doesn't feel like it's either of those. Yeah. So it's like I have trouble figuring out how I'm supposed to feel about these things. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, f- I worry that I'm making it too comedic just because sort of, I don't know, I like to call out when, funny there's, when there's like, you know, villain tropes of things, mm. you know, right. like I'm yeah. a. I'm just a big fan of, I don't know, those like, uh, we're not so different, you and I, bad yeah. guy monologue type things. Exactly. I don't, yeah, I guess I do have to understand, this was a couple years ago. Maybe it just wasn't as obvious of a trope then. Maybe. Yeah. It still feels very tropey and very sort yeah. of like, by the and numbers judge, sort of things, and, I guess. And it's Judge Dredd we're talking about. So it's like, exactly. definitely, probably tropey. Uh, yeah, I think it's easy. Whenever there's anything in in, the, in a Dredd setting, I feel like I'm tempted to go to satire as well as mm. just sort of being paint by numbers, I guess. I'd like to give right. them the benefit of satire, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think so. I think your your instinct is right. I think going closer to uh, funny and goofy is um, closer to their goal. Um, it's just, uh, I guess, the silhouettes style still has a weird mature feeling yeah. to it. Like they're trying to be like um, art yeah, deco kind of. It's definitely trying drag. to be yeah, like a dramatic, like a dramatic or sort of like not like fully like sin city but like a sin city-esque yeah. kind of thing that's what i really feel yeah. like from the from this yeah. from salmon's art style specifically that's yeah what going and i for. feel like they almost make it to the uh, animated batman series mm, uh, yeah that too yeah they don't quite get there so it just doesn't quite make it but um yeah it's it's interesting I, I don't know what they could do to like bridge that gap for me but maybe it'll grow on me sometimes you know uh, maybe I'll come around to like yeah. vibing better with it. I mean, it goes both directions. I think as we work on yeah. the work through these comics, <laughs> get to know. I mean, you know, it's 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 weird looking. It's always weird looking at just comics from you know twenty nine years ago. Now mm. it, it's just it's a different world back then. You know, right. and we're looking at it through our modern lens of things that have been influenced by this or that mm. you know just have a different set of influences and stuff. So right. Mm, Part of the absolutely. time capsule of this uh, of this project here, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of the fun, let's go to story three, Mean Machine. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Carl Critchlow, letting robot Steve Potter. Mean Machine Angel and his gang are out to do some crime so they can teach Mean Son not to be a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> In the back of the truck, Mean shows the kid how to use a gun, firing off some shots that go through the wall of the van and just into some innocent bystanders. Um, it's not clear even to the crooks where they're going, but the plan is to teach the ABCs a crime. So they go to an A place, namely an antique shop. Mean makes Junior lead the raid on the shop, doing some uh, some armed robbery. And the kid does so through tears, of course. He cries all the time. The old man owner of the store seems like a good guy, though, and lets Junior hold a nice antique dolly for a little while. Like, oh, look at that. What a nice young man. That sort of thing. And mean, you could, but like as he does this, you could see mean looking real angry in the background about it. Right. (laughs) Meanwhile, the judges are told of mean's location and, uh, head over there and uh, speaking up at the shop and uh, speaking of the, at the shop, mean gets so angry that he just headbutts right through a bust of Margaret Thatcher. Junior doesn't like this. He's tired of learning about B and mean, or he's tired. Yeah. He's tired of learning about a and mean agrees. And so he moves on to B. And when the owner tells me to stop being a bully, we learn that of course B stands for button. And possibly body bags as he headbutts this old man. <laughs> and also the judges are on the scene. B's also for bike cannon as the judges open fire with their, with their bikes. Spent a lot the of time ant- on B. We're, you know, sticking to it. I don't know if we're going to get to pass C, honestly. Um, or even, <laughs> you know, losing track with it. The antique shop is, is destroyed by the bikes as that Dr. Ramsbottom that's still with Mean and the gang suggests that Mean surrenders, but surrenders is an S, so we aren't going to do that. Instead, let's beat it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mean lays down covering fire, which basically just has the effect of killing all the rest of his of his goons, and then goes up to four to headbutt through the back wall of the shop to freedom, or at least to an office that he can headbutt, continue headbutting his way through to then get to freedom. <laughs> Outside, Mean, Junior, and Ramsbottom pile into a passing moving truck as Mean yells at his son for messing up the heist. As they drive off, Junior realizes that he stole that dolly from the store and Mean butts them both to smithereens because he's just a bad dad and a bad guy in general. He also butts the driver out of the vehicle and takes control of it. And we're off to our next crime. I don't like him headbutting these dollies, Eli. It makes me feel sad for Junior, honestly. Right. But it's oddly satisfying. It's like... uh, It is sad, yeah. Weird way to destroy a dolly. Just with uh, the most powerful headbutt you can muster. Yeah, smash him into atoms. It's crazy. Yeah, it just drives the point home, right? <laughs> so, beast for button and bed wetting and body snatching and burglary, but those are all lame, so it's mostly for button, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> mean teaches Junior to headbutt by smashing his head into Ram's bottoms, which knocks the two of them out. And that's it for B, I reckon. Meanwhile, the judges are interviewing the antique store owner. He feels sorry for Junior, and we move on to see. Ramsbottom suggests having Junior do something easy, so the crew heads to nearby to a nearby juvie care so Junior can literally steal C is for candy from a baby. But when he does, the baby starts crying. Oh no. <laughs> A lady from the ju- from the juvie care, which is like you know kid you know daycare, a kid care, that kind of thing. Mm. That lady arrives, sees what's happening, and wangs Mean Machine upside the head with her purse. Means identified, and the trio skedaddles. And Means had enough. Junior can't be taught to be bad; it's a lost cause. But that reminds him because he used to be a lost cause when he was a kid. And that means there's only one thing to do, and that's to get Junior an anger dial of his own, just like his Paul. My goodness. Bad times. Next time on Mean Machine, dial M for maniacs. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, pretty accurate. Uh, that's fun. I'm super excited to see how this dial works out. Like, totally. He's like, oh, no, don't put dials in your children. But... Another part of me is like, it is probably going to be cool. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he's going to get like a, a cool, calm setting or, you know. Yeah, will the, he have a, yeah, will it be like means or will there be some uh, some modifications on it or something like that, you know. Right. I'm, I'm, it's weird. I'm hoping for this family to get over their trauma and anger and, you know, start a new generation of uh, people who can do some good for the community. But I don't think there's that type of story. See, so, I'm I'm just interested in some unlicensed brain surgery being done to a little kid, just sort of for oh, grins. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, gonna that, be a good time, right? That is what we come to. Uh, so we come to the Judge Red Magazine Four, absolutely, right. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so we're moving right along here. Let's take a quick break from stories and talk about covers, features, and dreadlines. This is all the non-story stuff. So, issue sixty-seven, Death March. Judge Castillo and Phoenix make their way to the finale of Wilderlands in a cover by Jason Brazo. The editorial has high hopes for Judge Castillo's mission and mentions that she'll be in the next Dread novel as well. After Judge Dread, there's a preview for another Dread novel. This one's called Silencer, and I think might have the lady from the Cutting Crew story in the Judge Dread mega special, I think. 
Uh, the Inquisition section has some nitpicks about the Dread novels, which I swear I'll figure out how to bring these books to the podcast at some point, Eli. I, I promise I will. In Dreadlines, people are mostly happy with Wilderlands, but still have some complaints, of course. And there are some worries about the quality of the costuming in the upcoming Dread movie. Some worries that it won't look enough like the comics and stuff like that. Being in the future does paint some interesting uh, thoughts yeah. on this. Yes, yes. You know, they, they still definitely, don't have it down perfect, but yeah, we're, no. we're getting better. Well, I mean, in the yeah, in the Stallone movie, they sort of you know they add a cod piece and stuff, and it's not it's not comic accurate, but I think it it still gives you the sense of it. I think mm-hmm. I don't know. And then you know, with the with the 2012 movie, they're just going in a different direction from uh, mm-hmm. from being looking like the comics, which I think actually I don't know. I feel like there's a longer thing to talk about it, but like. There's a point I think I, I think he was actually with uh, with with Blade, the Wesley Snipes uh, uh, movie, mm. that yeah, they really yeah. decided like we don't have to make people look like they look in the comics when we make mm. a comic book movie. You know, right, we can sort of yeah. focus on them looking cool, and yeah. if it looks like the comic, that's fine. But if it doesn't, that's fine too. You know, sort right. of right. Yeah, it's interesting how that's evolved. Like, I know there's like a, a One Piece live action coming out now, mm-hmm. and it's like um, people have kind of accepted you can't bring a comic to reality because reality has physics and laws and like right. and there's actors and things like that. So it's like we just kind of capture the spirit of it and then put it in this thing. And then it's fine and just kind yeah. of keep it rolling. Totally. But I think there's yeah. – I, I think it's funny also like in the original X-Men movie, they – like, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine puts on like sort of these – one of the black leather jumpsuits that they all wear mm-hmm. and asked about <laughs> it. And they make a joke like, oh, would you prefer yellow spandex, which is, you know, what he wears in the comics. Mm-hmm. And then recently also they've just released a bunch of, of uh, like – behind the scene shots from the uh from deadpool 3 and And it looks like he uh, he is wearing yellow spandex or a a version of that of that um classic yellow wolverine uniforms we've come full circle in the year in the ensuing years you know (laughs) right uh no it is fun but they can still kind of manage but yeah Issue 68, Blood Simple. Karen is showing down with a winged vampire. Faces on those wings in a very blue cover by Jason Brazel. The editorial mentions uh, a return to episodic dreads now that Wilderlands has concluded and introduces new artist Cyril Julian. Dreadlines has some complaints about the Femme Fatale supplements. Just sort of generally speaking, there's some discussion about there isn't a lot of consistency like of female characters from one to another besides like hair color, you know, there's some discussion that like, you know, Steve Sampson will use like in this, you know, when he's using photo reference, you know, sometimes he'll use like Kim Basinger for Anderson. Sometimes he'll use Elizabeth Hurley, like all these different, you know, different people. Like these characters don't, there's not like, besides their hairstyles, there's a word, there's not enough consistency like between them from panel to panel almost. Yeah. I vibe with that, yeah. Which I think is interesting. There's also just some discussion that, like, hey, like, you know, in the body of the Meg, we usually don't have women just for titillation purposes, so it seems weird to do mm-hmm. them here. And that you're, it's a little bit insulting to the readership to be like, you know, hey, lads, like, look at this mm-hmm. bit of TNA for you, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. Right. It's one of those times where... Everyone still is probably thinking of comics as just for male gaze, and they're yeah. forgetting that there are some female nerds out there. 
Uh, or just nerds that like, you know, don't want to, like, I don't know, maybe they, they want to read the comic like around the house and don't like the fact that there's like a, like one step up from a nudie mag attached to it right. <laughs> when they, no, when their mom buys it for them at the shop or something. That, that's, you know? that's a great point. I, I definitely sympathize with that, especially when, you know, like uh, I just come up with the same problem when I'm watching my anime and then, you know, uh, it's a very interesting psychological thriller with espionage and intrigue. And then there's just one moment where there's just a bunch of like fan service in there. And that's right. when my mom walks in every totally. time. Everyone, like, always, no, I everyone always walks in right when someone gets, yeah. When, when the, when the, when the protagonist gets their head shoved up some girl's skirt or something. <laughs> right. Like, oh, come on. Right. <laughs> we were talking about the nature of identity and now this, what are you doing to me? Right. So yeah, I totally, it's a good point. I think, uh, I'm glad that someone's addressing it. I've got I've, I've got empathy for a 15 year old comics book reader. Eli. I was I was I was 14 at the time myself. You know I know what right. it's like. <laughs> Keeping going, issue 69. Nice. All right, speed <laughs> kills. Yeah, for that one. <laughs> uh, Cyril Julian and Steve White have Dread confronting motorists in a very old school cover. Like I might talk about this more when we get to Dread, but he. Like Julian's style, like feels very based on old school dread artists like uh, Brian Bollander, Ron Smith, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like it a lot. It's got you know, it's this throwback feel is um, attractive yeah. to me. Um, yeah, and then I, I yeah, like it good. the uh, the nice. hype for the dread movies underway as we learn that the back cover of the magazine will now be stills from the film for a while. And there's a tease for the Christmas issue of the Meg, which we'll be covering as part of our 1995 coverage for scheduling reasons. All right, leave me alone. It's hard to figure out how to get these issues all at once. The Inquisition returns with questions about return, or the, the, the Inquisition is back with questions about returns for characters. We learned that Shimura will return in issue 72. And while they tease Devlin Waugh's return in 1995, he actually won't be back until 1997. That's some inside info from the future for you, Eli. Mm, okay. <laughs> Dreadlines has compliments and predictions for Wilderlands and complaints that letter writers aren't getting prizes. And that's a shame. Like, that's what you, you got when you offer prizes for letter writers. You got to give those prizes. The issue ends with us with the first still from the Dread movie. This one's of Judge Hershey and Cadet Olmeyer. That's Diane Lane and Balthazar Getty having a little meet cute in the locker room, the Grand Hall of Justice. I think he's about to reveal that Dread was a clone baby. I believe is when that is that part of the film. Nice. And speaking of clones, Eli, <laughs> come on, here we go. Let's get started. Let's get feral with story for Calhab Justice. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Pass to myself with these transitions, Eli. I don't care. Oh. <laughs> Script robot Jim Alexander, art robot Kevin Cullen, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. So a creep artist Kevin Cullen steps in here for this Calhab story. It's called False Dawn. In the future, a figure in techno armor is made to walk through a wasteland accompanied by a pair of armed guards. We see that we're told there's a giant crystal lattice of this in this world caused by a shockwave. There's a giant building that's, that's, that the uh, figure says is a monument to Shehalian's child. 
Um, we see a survivor in this rad slash psychic wasteland, but the guards just kill him out of hand. The figures enter into the monument. Something called the Flux welcomes them in. And we learn that there's a, a group of tech techs also making their way here. But this figure or this person is here to keep the Flux calm. They remove their helmet. And we learn that it's Patricia uh, Buchan, Buchan, formerly judge of the CalHab Justice Force, which has since been disbanded. That's uh, Ed McBrain's partner. And she's going to be in the narration boxes, at least partially tells the story of how the Flux came to be. And it started in the past with Ed McBrain returning to CalHab, learning the events of the previous CalHab story and not being pleased. (laughs) He enters the chief inspector's office and starts wrecking up the place. Meanwhile, at a TV studio, side judge Shahalian is getting makeup and told he'll be on in 10 minutes and just spend some time doing stuff like saying how to pronounce his name and making some illusions between his own power and the power of the Scottish mountain range that he's talking about, the Shehalian Mountain, Mount Shehalian, that kind of thing. He's getting an award as part of the fake story where when there was that big attack of evil spirits, that he, the stories that he fought them off instead of the reality, which is that he caused them to attack and kill everybody. Um, and Ed's not pleased about this. Shehalian makes a speech, but as he does, he's sort of making hand moves and talking about stuff that's pretty clear that he's also using his powers to destroy the spirit in the sky, which is this satellite that sends subsonic waves that has been pacifying the angry nature of Cal Havers for the last couple years, and it explodes. Bad times coming for Cal Hab. Anyway, oh snap, it's Bridget Brute! Got some crossover action here. <laughs> we see Judge Newt take out a Pagliacci-themed serial killer. That's like the clown guy. He apparently kills psychiatrists based on that joke about, like, I am Pagliacci, that sort of thing. Um, Newt gets his right ear. Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of a famous one. Like, a a guy goes to a doctor and says, like, oh, doctor, I'm all sad and depressed. What can I do? And... The psychiatrist says, oh, there's a, there's this clown in town, Pagliacci. He's famous. You should go see him. He'll cheer you up. And the man says, but doctor, I am Pagliacci, you know. Oh, <laughs> like, I see. That's fun. <laughs> that's like a pretty famous, like, I don't know. It's a thing. Mm. And so mm. <laughs> now this now this guy is Pagliacci third, and he's just is a serial killer killing, therapy, killing <laughs> psychiatrists. Nice. That's so funny. <laughs> No more clowning around, though. Meanwhile, in Calhab, <laughs> the destruction of the song in the sky has instantly caused the entire populace to turn to pagan cultist warriors with wolf head cloaks and wolf mar- and, and woad markings and stuff like that. They're storming the judge barracks on the island of Iona to get blood for their goddess Ness. We cut... Again, the story's being told by Samantha Muir, Shehalian's wife, who's in a coma and in her mind state, nakedly drifting through a sea of dreams, basically. We got, we got boobs on the podcast, Eli. Live right. it up. Right. <laughs> um, again, talking about when your mom walks in, that kind of stuff. Right, um, exactly, right. Anyway, it seems that Shehalian's been showing her all of his various crimes he's been doing. And so she manages to burst out of her coma and demands to see McBrain or, or, or Buchan to tell them about what's been going on. 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, McBrain is confronting the equally comatose chief inspector about what to do with Shehalyan. Like, I can't kill him. I already did that. And he came back. What are we, what's the plan? <laughs> he also reveals that he's learned that he, McBrain, the chief inspector, and Shehalyan are all clones from the same batch to do different roles, I guess. Back in Britsit, we see a trio of psychics doing that, like, uh, hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil thing, like covering different different ones of their head holes or whatever. Right. And they're making some jokes about um, to Newt about his recent actions. And then the brute is given a new task by a judge with a monocle. Newt is tasked to spearhead a strike squad on Calhab to enforce lo- martial law and just take out the whole place. We flash back to the year 2080 as a scientist tries to bring an ape back to life while monologuing about taking the place of God, as you do. In 21... (laughs) Sorry, I don't know. uh, This is what it is. In 2116, a bunch of Calhab judges prepare to assault that old folks' home from the previous story as inside uh, the nurse that Shehalian impregnated, M.T., yells at an old lady and then gets scolded by a nun. She has hazy memories of him and starts to beg the nun for help when an armored vehicle ver- vehicle bursts through the wall and she gets arrested. But looking back on it, a future Buchan, Buchan tells us that uh, her memory was completely wiped by Shehalyan, though luckily Shehalyan's wife saw this happen mentally so she can still tell everybody what's going on. It's a whole thing. Um and we, you know, Buchan just dismisses all this by saying that Chalian's just a typical manipulative man. <laughs> oh, these men, Eli, always right. Psychic, brains and yeah, they're always psychically seducing, impregnating ladies and wiping their minds and stuff right. like that. Tale as old as right. time. Right. Nah, actually, worse things, or no, equally worse <laughs> things. But let's not <laughs> dwell on it. Sorry, don't mean to don't mean to minimize men being jerks, Eli. They, they often are. Right. Um, no, I got. McBrain suggests like having the kid taken, having, having the kid aborted, but uh, stops himself, and then says he's going to resign. But Buchan punches him in the face and tells him to stop feeling sorry for himself. Meanwhile, in the north of Calhab, even judges have succumbed to madness. We see a broadcast from a self-proclaimed knight of the Saints Templar, like saying all the judges should join them. And Buchan heads out, but suddenly Shehalyan's there confronting her. He's happy that the nurse is in judge custody with his child. That's where she's safest, I guess. And Buchan asks what he's up to. Shehalyan responds by paralyzing and sexually menacing her. Good times. But when she sort of just manages to whisper to, for him to stop playing God, that seems to freak him out. And he flies away Superman style, like with with one hand out. That's what I mean. Superman right. style. No, yeah, that's not there's, not there's, that Superman oh. frequently like paralyzes ladies and menaces them. So. Right. No, that's fair. I think Superman's the only one who does fly like that. It's a very impractical way to fly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you want the hand out to like if there's a bird in your debris. way, you can sort of move it. Move. Yeah, exactly. Too much dust or something. I assume you do the two hands out. That way, you have more action it just seems mm. it seems like a to me it always seems like a flex it's like i'm superman oh yeah i'm strong enough to just fly with just one hand out that's all uh, i need 
Yeah, I like that style though. Like, yeah, like like one hand out in like a fist, the other one sort of tucked under the other arm sort of tucked underneath you, one leg bent also. Right. This is a good yeah. these are good poses, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I like I, I like that flight style the most. I like the uh just standing there and you sort of fly about in that way, mm-hmm. sort of the least Eli. I don't like a standing flight. That's no right. good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just rough. So why are you even flying at that point? Yeah. Um, it might be different if you're like riding something, I guess. But if right, you're just standing, yeah. like, I don't know. I don't like it. Uh, um, I think the worst, standing, but you're uh, going forward as if you're walking, you know? You're just kind of standing ooh. on the sky and then you're being propelled forward. I, yeah. That's the yeah. one I like the least. No, I like I like when you're, yeah, you, you're like, like your head's the main part of you and the rest of you gets right. pushed back by the wind. That's sort yes. of the main, that's how you fly. We all know it. Right. All right. Right. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, he flies to a perimeter fence around the uh, the Calhab Grand Hall, which is that you know monument building we talked about at the start of the story, where he's confronted by that three headed, no evil trio of size. But in this case, they say evil to him in unison, and it's clearly showdown time to be continued. Nice. So things are heating up in Calhab, and we've got some foreshadowing that lets us know that it'll end in the destruction of the whole place. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see how yes. we get there. Right. It's it's interesting. I uh, kept losing the thread on this one a lot because they were uh, kind of jumping from <laughs> one thing to the other, and then that's 100%. I, 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 I definitely agree. Like, there's a lot, like, there's a lot of perspectives. There's a, like, we're flashing back and flashing forward. We're, we've got two omniscient narrators as well between um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Buchan and Cat. you know? like yeah. there was it's definitely just, a point where I was like, wait, is this the one about that weird god guy who's impregnated? Oh, right. That's, don't worry. Yeah. We'll get back to that. I'm like, oh, all right. All right. Uh, yeah, and we're sort of like, yeah, and there's like, yeah, we're, we're adding in crossover characters and all this kind of, there's just a lot, a lot going on. In mm. this in this story, for sure, right. and it feels like we're also uh, moving. There's a lot going on, that, and I feel like we're we're moving very fast. Like this feels like sort of you know, we've got a limited time span for Cal Habs. So we got to get you know, we, right. Let's go if you want to tell the story. We've got to get to the end of it here, you know. Right. Yeah, and it's it's um, I guess I liked it a little bit more than the previous. I think the artist changed. I think yes, the guitar, it did. Yeah, um, suits the story a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um. But still, the story itself uh, is such a jumble that it's kind of hard to. Yeah, um, I agree. Navigate. I think I I do think Colin finds a happy medium between the two other um, styles that we've seen for Cal have, I guess, like versus mm. Lol, that was really like almost impressionistic and hard to follow. And uh, mm. Ridgeway, who's very realistic. But I don't think that style is really suited for this story, which now has yes. so much like you know magical elements basically right exactly yeah, i think that's i think that's a lot to do with it yeah it was like um when it had a more realistic style it almost felt like it was taking itself too seriously for what it was doing mm-hmm. it was like, look how deep and foreboding i am and you're, yeah you're not that much but this one's yeah. like hey we're people but hey don't you don't need to think about it too don't don't go too deep into it yeah, I like, think uh, I think Ridgeway's style was what what was better when this comic was just about like oh there's judges but they're wearing kilts and we we're, we're making right. Scottish jokes you know yes and right. now exactly. that it's more about like 
again, about, I guess, the nature of identity and weird, rapey god men. <laughs> right. It, and, it and, needs a different art style, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. I guess speaking of, speaking of, uh, of weird, rapey monsters, Eli. Oh, yeah. Where we're at <laughs> now, I guess. Now we're talking. Um, Let's go to story five, Armitage. Script robot Dave Stone, art robot Charles Gillespie, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. Brit sit. We're in Brit sit. It's Judgment Day. There's zombies, and uh, Brit sit uh, Judge Armitage is confronting weird techno angel mastermind Gabriel. Luckily, Armitage has brought a big gun, so he just starts blasting these cyber demons that come after him. But as he does, Gabriel then reveals his own big gun, a horrifying spider monster with the face of Armitage's lover, Leora, who we met in those flashback stories a couple years, a little while ago. <laughs> she, all she can say is the various different ways that she will kill and eat him, and she sort of subdues Armitage as Gabriel looks on. Meanwhile, Treasure Steel, who's just been fired by Armitage, returns home. And we learn at last that her spouse, Terry, is indeed a lady who is on the couch and a little stunned that Mega City 2 has been nuked because of all the dang zombies. And is worried that indeed we're losing the zombie war. And don't worry, like, Dred's dealing with it off screen. It'll right. be fine. Right. Um, meanwhile, Treasure gets a message that Armitage is in trouble. And she gets that from the psychic Mordecai, who's been sort of giving us hints all through this story. And also makes allusions to Dante's Inferno, which he'll continue to do. We see <clears throat> we see zombies being called to Gabriel's skull-shaped lair as Armitage wakes up in a cell. And we see that Lisa's there too. And between her and Leora, there are too many blonde ladies in this story, Eli. It's tough. Mm -hmm. I thought at first the spider thing was Lisa, but now it's, you know, it's not. And it's like... Right. Well... This one has two pairs of eyebrows, so like, they have the like, yeah. something you can keep an eye on. <laughs> I, I do kind of go back actually to the dreadlines thing where it's tough because there often isn't a lot, like especially when we're changing artists and stuff, there there's often mm -hmm. not a ton of identifiers between these different ladies beyond their hair right. colors when they have the hair color. I feel like I have face blindness or something. Like, just, uh, who, who are you? I got to wait for context right. clues. You know? Right, yeah. You're the blind blonde one. Got it, right. Ah, yes. Oh, no, I'm the other blonde one. Oh, oh, damn it. How, how could I know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Gabriel shows up and says he has such sights to show Armitage, and that is a Hellraiser reference and an ominous one at that, Eli. No good. Be careful nice. when people. When when weirdos that aren't wearing a shirt or wear a lot of leather start making Hellraiser quotes, it's no good. <laughs> Treasure Steel breaks into Armitage's apartment and pulls out a hammer to threaten his AI personal assistant with to give him his personal files. The AI relents instead of having its uh, cores be smashed. That's why you need cloud computing, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> techno zombies have joined the main fight against the judges sort of as, you know they, they've joined the the just standard zombies and fighting the judges and they're killing them like crazy learning of the past steel confronts judge warner who's sort of you know uh armitage's boss and it seems that judgment day has triggered gabriel in some way they gotta do something but warner just continues to minimize the situation and has steel restrained 
But the judge, she beats up the judges restraining her and escapes into the new Old Bailey where Judge Mordecai beckons her into an air duct and they escape. Um, meanwhile, Armitage is all chained up and we see that he's extremely buff somehow, despite having a real, he's got a real old man face, but like a 12 pack as well. It's a whole thing, (laughs) but he's being chained up by gremlin dudes and Lisa's being carried off by a naked tech zombie. It's also ominous. Uh, Gabriel, though, was, yeah, it's a lot. We're, we're, you know, we're, this is, this is for the mature reader and we're, we're trying to earn it here. Eli, you know, (laughs) Gabe's interested in, or is more interested though, in setting up view screens for Armitage so he can watch his city die and then leaves him, of course, standard supervillain stuff here. Chained in place, Armitage is out of options, it seems. So he bites a big hunk of skin off of his big bite, off his massive bicep. And we learned that just inside his arm, he's got a polymer tube implanted there years ago. He pulls it out with his teeth. And we learn that it has items um, that that, that are, will very, be very useful, but can, should only be used in an absolute emergency. Yowza, that's advanced planning. <laughs> it's such like, I don't know. It's one a, that you'd yeah, have Batman a tube. Sharper pellet. Yeah, exactly. That you'd have a tube and planted one, but also that it, you would be you would plan for. Well, of course they're going to chain me up with my arms above my head, so I'll be able to reach and grab that area with my teeth and and and, right. and bite it out. You know, right? Yeah, I, I assume he just has a bunch of things planted in all types of weird giant muscles. He oh has. yeah, wow! So whatever <laughs> yoga position they put him in, he's like, oh yeah, I got yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Big old, like, listen, this guy, he's buff. He's got those, uh, those big veins on his arms as well. Right. Which exactly. makes Good me think he's, stuff. yeah, he might be doing some future roids or something like that. Frankly, right. very vascular is Armitage. <laughs> right. Mordecai is dropping some psycho babble on steel as the pair make their way into the dark tunnel leading to Gabriel's ba- base. Of course, there's a, uh, abandon all hopey who enter here, uh, reference. Long-term Armitage antagonist Eiffel Dragosan blasts zombies with a plasma pistol. And we learn that inside Armitage's arm tube was a scalpel blade, monomolecular wire, and a small laser, which he's used to free himself. Though he didn't put bandages in there, so he's got to sort of, I don't know, use some ambient cloth from the area to sort of tie off the massive hole in his arm that he's bit. Um, he makes his way down the corridors of the lair, finding Lisa being nakedly strapped into a weird machine. She, he uses the laser to free her, and one improvised bikini later, the pair make their way through Gabriel's base, finding a massive factory, like a big like machine that's got a lot of skull and bone themes to it, basically. Right. Well, it seems like they're trying a little too hard. You, I mean, once you have just so many skulls in your skull layer, I'm like, all right. Are nah, you really about I mean, that life? Listen, as a as a 40k player, I say there's always room for more skulls of all sizes, Eli. Absolutely. <laughs> if your battle <laughs> if your space battleship isn't like 20% skulls, why even tet mm, out, you know? I see. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think I have a little bit of trouble with the uh, tech zombies. Like I understand mm. being tech and I understand being zombies, but when you're a tech zombie army, I'm like, 
who are you trying to impress? You know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Right. But I mean, this, this skull factory is what I'd expect from a baddie who made themselves an angel by making a bunch of wings out of pipes, you know, yeah, like it's yeah, sort that's, of, that's fair. I what I'd expect from the character, you know? Yeah, <laughs> know. that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Meanwhile, Drago is being overrun by zombies and seems to pull a big gun. I, he's either pulling a gun or he's shooting himself or maybe my pages are out of order, Eli. I don't know. Say la vie. <laughs> it might be that they're out of order, actually, now that uh, I'm thinking about it. Okay, I can see that. Because um, it might be that they jump from him pulling a gun and blasting the zombie and then stealing Mordecai going to, you know, entering the pits. Uh, and now they're in the pits of hell where they're confronted mm-hmm. by a giant three-headed dragon. Mordecai wow. blasts a big hole in it. But, oh, geez, we learned that now he's been mind-controlled by Gabriel, and he's going to take Treasure Steel to him. Bad times indeed. Next time on Armitage, The Deceivers. This one feels like it's coming to a, to a head also, Eli, kind of like uh, yeah. Calhab is. Like we're sort of getting Definitely. all the characters in here and wrapping up loose ends and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all the big players are kind of making their moves. So, yeah, there's not... At least it feels like, at least it feels like there isn't too much more uh, that they can be able to do. There's only so many more skulls and you know tech zombies and tech weird metal skull dragon zombie tech creatures they're going to be able to uh, throw at them before you know Armitage has to like use more of his surprise muscles to defeat them or whatever. And just only so many more dark secret, secrets Armitage can have that can right. then be resolved, you know. Like, you can only be so mysterious, I guess. Right, exactly. And then it becomes <laughs> unbelievable, you know. People suspect you know. disbelief. They can't hold up under these, this pressure. I think it's okay, but, like, yeah, there is sort of a lot, like, having the tube in just the right position was sort of like, I think it'd be one thing if he was sort of loose in a cell and had the tube in there, but that mm. he had it in just the perfect place to get to it, even while mm. being chained up and stuff was a little like, mm. okay, like right. this is a little too convenient. It, it, it right. strains my credulity a little bit, Eli. <laughs> you know? Right. And I also like, you know, just the, uh, how many naked ladies can we add to this and how many buff dudes? I guess it's good. That you know, they also made an over-sexualized Armitage. Yeah, yeah, it feels at least slightly equal. That yeah, we're sort of Mm. there's an equal amount of of chained up naked person here, (laughs) whatever your proclivities might be. I suppose that that is a good point. (laughs) Anyway, things are getting weird in these stories. Eli, I want to (laughs) get let's get back to basics here and just have some nice standard uh, shootouts and stuff. With the help of Story 6, Judge Dredd. Script robot for Judge Dredd, John Wagner. Art robot, Cyril Julian. Lettering robot, Steve White and Peter Smith. Or coloring robot, Steve White and Peter Smith. Letter robot, Tom Frame. Regular Dredd. And like I said, yeah, like we talked about in the middle of the, or in the the, uh, covers section, Julian's this new artist, Cyril Julian's got a really old school style that I think is really interesting. Uh, just to see it in the Meg here, it feels very sort of classic, like 70s, 80s dread, I guess. Right. Yeah, definitely. Like he's sort of smaller. He's less stylized than mm. modern dread, maybe a little thinner. Yeah. And yeah, this again, just sort of has more classic uh, 
dread proportions. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like um, you ever go back to just watch the original Power Rangers where things were just kind of simpler and just like rockier and like, it's kind of like that, like before everything was a dinosaur uh, truck or whatever. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot more. It brings you back to that kind of feeling. Definitely. That's an interesting style. We won't see too much more of Julian. I think he does three things in the magazine and this is the, uh, this is the, and these are, are, are two of them. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. So this story, our, we got two stories here. One's called Farewell to the Chief. And maybe I should have included it in the Wilder Zone because it sort of wraps things up as well. But whatever. <laughs> we see an injury. We sort of see the events of the final Prague issue that we talked about in the Wilder Zone. Uh, Magruder handing over power to a coalition of senior judges to have an election for um, – who will become chief judge. And we learned that she's working on a memoir. Magruder offers her, her judge assistant, judge Castillo, a job in her civilian life. But instead Castillo wants to return to the streets as a judge, which is nice. We also learn, of course, the mechanismos have been scrapped completely. Um, Meanwhile, at a, uh, at a, office training school where robots teach humans how to be office drones. A car (laughs) smashes through the wall and a gang called the tribe does a completely random drive in shooting. That's what they call They they say that it's completely random. Like they're making a point of that. (laughs) Castillo responds. She takes out the vehicle, the, uh, the the tribe's uh, truck when they try to escape and then they get pinned down in like some kind of warehouse thing. Some other judges arrive on the scene, but when Castillo tries to take charge, a judge or says she can't be trusted in a firefight. Because remember, uh, the reason why she came to work for Magruder was because in a firefight, she froze up and another judge got injured. They say, that guy's got a plastic spleen now. And so there's worry that she doesn't have what it takes to be a street judge. But then Judge By God Dread shows up and gives her his stamp of approval. The two of them go in side by side to fight through this warehouse full of goons. Castillo, of course, loses her helmet partway in so we can sort of, you know, see her as she does it. Right. See who's who. Right. Yeah. Um, Castillo, the, uh, the, the firefight culminates with Castillo jumping on one of those uh, slide things that mechanics use, like slide underneath cars. And then shooting the group's leader as she slides across the floor, John Woo style. It's a pretty awesome move. Um, with the with the with the leader of the tribe killed, the rest of them um, are arrested and get ten years, which they're pretty happy about because they just want to be cool dudes and like, yeah, man, only the toughest criminals get ten years or more. We're cool. <laughs> just such a such a mega city one way to think, honestly. Right, exactly. Um, right, we're so bored. Let's just. Yeah, anything, anything to make excitement. Do some crimes, go to prison, have a good time. Right. <laughs> Castillo wonders what she's in for, and Dredd says it's the most exciting job in the world. So, finishing up, as the election for chief judge is taking place in the progs, Dredd's just fully back to business as usual here in the Meg. Um, accident Eddie's crash diner hits the road. This old guy with sort of a mobile food truck, he sets up shop on a corner when suddenly there's a massive multi-car pileup show um, occurs in front of him. It draws a crowd and then he sells them burgers and hot dogs because it turns out he's got a latent psychic ability that lets him sense like danger, like car crashes and accidents and stuff. 
And now the judges, having judged that he's not causing them or anything, they just sort of follow him around and like try to mitigate damage that might be caused by those accidents. Like he sets up shop and they put up a bunch of like uh, like slow down signs to try to prevent a car accident. <laughs> and, you know, Eddie says that usually they can't really stop the future, but at least like ambulances and fire crews are close by to deal with any, any wreckage, you know. Dreads on the scene this time, and it seems like they might have prevented any trouble when suddenly a perp with a cyber skull shoots the driver of a city bus, and that vehicle goes barreling into a bunch of stopped traffic and makes a huge wreck. In the wreck, the perp is launched from the front of the bus right into Eddie's diner, which he hijacks and then beats up Eddie as Dredge gives chase. Wow, what a plan. Toad, listen, he's just going with the flow, you know? (laughs) The perp's having a great time driving the diner when Dredd hops aboard the vehicle, jams his his gun up the perp's nose, and sends the uh, truck skidding uh, to a stop. It crashes, and Eddie gets hit in the head by his own truck's sign, which we learn a few weeks later has um, caused him to lose his psych ability. Oh, no. He got hit in the head and lost it. On the street, some other citizens try to sympathize and, you know, say that's too bad for you. But Eddie just gets uh, just steps out and walks right into traffic. He avoids getting hit by a by a car, but causes a fender bender behind him and dreads on the scene. He says, like, Eddie, you keep doing this. You're trying to get into an accident again to get you, but that won't bring your powers back. And I'm going to prove it by just sending you to the cubes for a couple years. You can get get over this, you jerk. The end. Another small business owner destroyed and Judge Dredd. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Judge Dredd's doing the good work out there. Totally. Uh, no, it's, uh, it is interesting. Um, it's weird. My bias, I had a lot of... Um, like anxiety around the traffic nose, like cars. Mm. Oh no! Like I'm like the horrific car accidents that are have potential. But I think like this artist and this story wasn't wasn't trying to do that. No. Uh, so I think it's, I'm, it's, like, it's just trying to be a very silly like right. you know, Judge Red story. Exactly. But yeah, every time someone got to a crash and then they just flew out in Looney Tune style into another building and then just got up unharmed and then went to do something else. It was like okay. Yeah, I think it's um the con- the uh, element of having so many different stories that have very different feelings to them. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I was like, if this was that, you know, um, sexy nipple cyberpunk zombie story, I'm sure they would have done, or even heavy metal dread. People are just made out of tissue paper in there. Someone right. just sneezes too hard and their organs are just all over the table. So it's like, um, so <laughs> it's, it's interesting that contrast. Totally, yeah. No, this one's very much more sort of cartoony and – or not cartoony, but just like like light, like sort of – you know, people get yeah. shot, but you don't really see like the – you know, you don't see a lot of like after effects or whatever. Or just more yeah. sort of like you just see the vehicles piling up, not sort of the human damage of it. And that mm-hmm. lets the story be funnier and just, you know, doesn't sort of weigh down an attempted humor by having a bunch of blood and guts or whatever. Right, right. So I appreciate that. It's a refreshing uh, story. After some of the other stories we've seen about, you know, totally. That that's kind of why I put it at the end, actually. And that and actually, right. let's let's continue talking about this, Eli. I want to know, like, how you find in these comics and what's your top and bottom top and bottom stories for this month? Yeah, yeah, I'm liking it. Um, I, it's interesting because I feel like my taste is changing. It's like mm. um, now that I have a sample of 
all the different realms of the dreads stories and mm-hmm. worlds um like i have like it's almost like um areas i like more and then some places yeah. i don't really like going to like Arizona. right yeah well it's like it's 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 like at a restaurant where you sort of you you figure out what dishes you like right and what and and, and what you don't like sort of right exactly um but uh it, it still are surprising me though like usually by this point um uh everyone's at my, at my house tells me i just recommend wendy's whenever we're like what do you want to eat no it's wendy's and i was like we're tired of that eli can we do something else uh so um but they're doing things where I still give them a chance, and then sometimes they surprise me. Sometimes they're like, oh, I, I think I know where this is going. And they're like, no, we're going this other way. Mm-hmm. And I find that so that's really uh, inspiring. Uh, except Heavy Metal Dread. That, that is always gross. I always have a bad time. <laughs> I don't know. What, sorry, that's not even in one of these. I'm just, no. That's just trauma. Just uh, standard. Yeah, you, you just know it. You're just like, by the way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but... Um, uh, but as far as these stories, um, uh, top oddly enough, I'm putting the uh, the vampire story. Let me. Uh, oh, nice, ju- ju- Judge Karen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they were doing a lot of stuff, um, but like it's fine. It's like I, it could just because there's vampires, and I'm mm-hmm. just like for some reason I just give them an extra pass. Um, but I also like how they tied it into that one story about Judge Anderson, where she kind of mm. came across uh, an angel. I find that tie-in. Uh, yeah, no, that, really that's good continuity for sure. Yeah, right. And so it's like, uh, and also the art style was vastly different. That was like super realistic for the Judge Anderson. So now they're going to a more simplified version. Um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was it was Arthur Ranson doing that one and having a lot of these like big New York New York City vistas and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, almost, I guess it's uh, the feeling of wanting to get more of that. And then this story being like, hey, we're going to kind of tie onto it a little bit. But also it's it's a little wacky and cartoony. Like I said, I do think this vampire is just, uh, yeah, lampshading all his weaknesses, uh, which is a funny headcanon for me. So, uh, yeah, I like totally. that. Um, let's see. I and I Bottom, I have to put, you know, actually, I might have put... Um, Mean Machine as my uh, one of my tops as well because that's ah. just that's just fun. Um, but I wanted to add something a little something sure. a little different. Totally. Um, but uh, I think I have to put Calhab Justice on the bottom mm-hmm. only because just artistically I like it. Uh, visually, I'm you know uh, I'm enjoying it. I really like black and white contrast and even uh, cross hatching. But uh, the story is just a little too all over the place. And you lose a lot of points for lack of uh, clarity and uh, um, uh, yeah. pacing in my in my uh, in my storytelling. Totally, yeah, that makes sense to me. Absolutely, um, yeah. I think it's. How about you? Oh man, well, I, I want to say I think it's really interesting that there's sort of that like there's three of these stories that that feel very similar to me at, at once, like mm. sort of like uh, Calhab, Karen, and uh, Armitage all have uh, like they sort of rhyme with each other there's a lot of really interest I, I feel like there's a lot of really interesting similarities between them all i guess yeah just in terms of like like w- when you take all three of them together and each of them at least two have like a ju- a side judge who's betraying people actually no all three of them do uh, <laughs> have a have a betraying side judge um or involve going into an evil lair 
right? Have like different monsters that, that these guys are fighting and stuff like that, which I think is kind of, I don't know. It's, it's just funny to me how that's ended up, I guess, or that, I don't know, maybe Dave Bishop's trying, the, the editor's trying to sort of have there be these themes within this, w- within the stories or something. But it's just yeah. funny that like we're in a very sort of sp- like, I don't know, monster, don't know who to trust era in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the magazine, right. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. For my, top and bottom stories um i'll certainly join you with a cow hab in my as 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 my least favorite story um i think you've you you put it just right that i do really like um um i I feel like colin's a good fit for for the story they're trying to tell but that story is not focused enough we're jumping around to a bunch of different things and it's just like an individual magazine, like episode in a magazine, you know, like I think it's like six pages or something like that, is just not enough space for this many scene and perspective changes. <laughs> like, it's just not the format for this kind of storytelling. It makes it like confusing and like, what, 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 like just you're constantly looking around and just having to spend time figuring out where you are and what's going on in a way that isn't yeah. very like it's that's just not not fun i guess yeah i don't know if vantage point had come out yet but i feel like that would have been a better angle for them if they would have like here's the whole story from this person's perspective okay, yeah now let's go back in time and kind of show this person's kind yeah like you know or like yeah like, like a rashomon kind of thing i guess um mm-hmm. i don't know that'd be interesting but it's just kind of like it, it just seems like there's a lot that that they're trying to tell and it's like mm-hmm. It seemed like, like actually, I remember we, we I kind of talked about this with uh, with a Pan African judges too uh, a while ago, where sometimes I feel like they kind of like someone will come in with an idea for a story that's very that's very long, like you know, like I've got a a twenty chapter story that I want to tell, mm-hmm. and partway through there's like, sorry, like you've got seven chapters, like oh god, like okay, I gotta mm-hmm. smash stuff in so that we get to where I I need the story to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to know a good pinch off point. Uh, I know the same thing with a, a lot of Shona Jump creators. Like they mm-hmm. come on and they're not really sure how long till they're going to be canceled. Uh, and most of them get canceled. So knowing right. when to like, all right, do I just cram everything in here in the last three chapters? Or do I like just find a good pinch off point and just be like, okay, let's just leave people wanting more. And I feel like with I, experienced guys like that, you can also tell that like, that's why, you know, the standard run of one of those jump comics, like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, like a uh, 20 ish, 20 chapters or something. They'll sort of get right. to at least a moderately satisfying climax in that time. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And like, you you get to that, and then if you're reading something that then goes on, it's funny because like they'll sort of get to that one climax, and then after that, sometimes things get more stretched out. You know, like, yeah. oh, right. we've lost some urgency here. Like that's interesting. <laughs> like, you you signed the contract, I see. You know that kind of right. thing. Yeah, it's funny. All right, and uh, oh, and for my top story, I'm gonna say Mean Machine. I'm really digging that story. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love Carl Critchlow's art, which I feel like I didn't talk about enough, but he does a really good job just making mean look mean to being this giant angry monster guy. He makes Junior look so sad and pathetic that you have to feel sorry for him. Like 
that moment with the uh, with the antique shop owner and Junior is really sweet, and then it just being uh-huh. destroyed and gunfire and mayhem was hilarious. You know, all this <laughs> stuff is real funny, and I'm just and again like John Wagner writing. Mean Machine is great just because he's so ornery and so, like, mm-hmm. pissed about everything. You know, right at the start, right. like, you know, they're in this van going to do crimes. And one of the goons is like, well, where do you want to go, Mean? And he's like, where, where the hell do you think I want to go? Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't know. You haven't told me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Look to headbutt anyone for any reason. Don't give them one. Like, it's just like, right. I'm trying to help you. Like, no, headbutts. You know? Right. <laughs> it's pretty good. Right. No, it is great. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I'm liking yeah. it too. And then I have fun with that. Karen's pretty like interesting. I'm, I'm also liking this vampire story. It feels very just like, all right, like this is, you know, we know what's going on. It's a whole thing. Like I understand that I like, like, mm. you know, it's sort of maybe like, I don't know, by the num or I don't say by the numbers. Cause that sounds like it's bad, but like, it's Ooh. just, it's, it's, it's using the formula. And I think that that, yes. that, that that's fine. It's what's in the box. You get what's on the cover. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And also, I uh-huh. I was a fan of just of of dread, just a more sort of like simple, basic, back on the street episodic dreads, which are nice, mm-hmm. not nice to get back to after a big mega epic like like we just yeah. had. Yeah. Also, I am. Uh, I I wasn't until you mentioned Armitage that I was reminded of it, but it's like it's weird that it's I read it and then it left my memory. Like it's like mm. something about the story and the art and all of it together that it's like uh, it comes in as a, a net neutral to me. So it's just <laughs> like it's not bad, but it's also not good. So it's like fine. And yeah. so, it, but yeah, it's int- I didn't I didn't realize I was having that reaction to it. But yeah, I think that's where it, it, what it's doing to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm having kind of a hard time with Arbitage, but it's it's going okay. Like I'm definitely interested in where, <laughs> right. where, where it goes and how we sort of end up with it for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> cool. All right. And I think that takes us to the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com. On 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One, and you'll find us. Um, and then feel free to drop us a rating or review wherever you listen to us, or suggest us some looking for a cool podcast. This show is brought to you by Robert Hardingham and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's the podcast network. There you can support the show and get a ton of excellent rewards. Then come back next time. As we take a look at the 1995 Judge Dread yearbook, it's the last Dread yearbook and should be a good time. Just some special, full, you know, um, extra outside the main timeline stories. I'm excited. And then after that, you'll find that we've once more reached the end of a year in the magazine, and it's time for the 1994 year in review show, The Maggies. We'll be putting on our stunning tuxedos and handing out things as we talk about our favorite stories of the past year. We want to hear from you as well, of course, so please send us your nominations for the Judge Red Magazine in 1994 for the following categories. Art, writing, overall story, and then a favorite month or episode of the year and the MVP, Most Valuable Person or Player of 1994. And until then, I'm Conrad, they're Eli, and we are Big Mac One. Drock it! <laughs> <laughs>